BC Buckets is back after a three-week hiatus for the holidays. My name is Matt Gall, joined here with Mark Sviguera, head coach of the Briarcliff University basketball program. Mark, we have some catching up to do, so I guess Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, welcome back, all of the above. How you been? Been doing pretty well, Matt. You know, got through the holidays, and you know, obviously we've been playing pretty well here lately, so things are good. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've, like I said, we've got some catching up to do here. There have been five games in the time uh, since we've spoken last. And so, uh, like you said, you guys kind of have things rolling right now. You're on a five-game win streak. Um, and that includes some, you know, pretty big wins where you guys were pretty much in control of things offensively and defensively. Uh, but I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that game up at Dakota State right before Christmas where you guys pulled out a gutsy 79-75 to 75 overtime win down, you know, what four with under a minute left something crazy like that yeah I think it was actually seven with 48 seconds left we were okay. down and uh came back and won that in overtime and you know it's one of those games where you know did we necessarily deserve to win it I don't know are we gonna hand it back nope we're not um you know I think <laughs> if we if you would look back under a minute in that game and you wanted to put a statistical percentage of our chance of winning that game I think it would be under one percent um you know things just kind of fell the right way they missed a couple free throws uh we got a, a big steal and layup late in the game to tie it and then you know just made a couple of really big plays in overtime to to get that one and you know that was a game coming off a, a long run of conference games going back to non-conference sometimes that can be tough and you know, Dakota State played a, a great game that night and and gave us some some real problems but you know I was really happy going into Christmas break on a win is just, it's just a really good feeling to have. And I think uh, winning a game like that has kind of propelled us into the, the second half of the year now. And, you know, our three games since the, since the break, when we've been back, I think we've won all three by, you know, 13 plus and guys have done a really good job of, of executing what we want to execute. And I think right now, we're in a place where, where our guys are really, really bought in to what we're trying to do on both sides of the ball, but in particularly offensively, um, guys are really sharing the ball. We're shooting the ball well. Um, and I think our, our offensive balance is getting better and better as, as we move forward here. Yeah, one of the guys who's really stood out as I've watched these games online and just paid attention to things from a distance with a lot of the busy things going on over the holidays, but Quinn BC has just been a tremendous asset for you guys over this stretch, tough player. Um, he's everywhere flying around a lot of big games offensively, but a lot of the things he does off the ball too. I mean, he's, he's such a leader on the court. That's, he's been really impressive to watch over the course of the last month. Yeah. Quinn's a really tough kid and, you know, all season he's been playing well. Um, he just, he hasn't had a lot of big scoring games. He does a lot of little things. He's a really active defender. He moves the ball well. He rebounds well. I mean, he, he does a lot of little things. And then this past week, he, he kind of had an offensive explosion. He had 29 out at Hastings and then came back home yesterday and had 21 against Doan. And, I mean, he put together a, a conference player of the week type resume, um, in my opinion. And so that's good to see, you know, and that's, I think, our, our fifth or sixth player this season that's scored 20-plus in a game. And, you know, I've said before, that kind of balance is a, is a blessing for us because it gives us a lot of options. We don't have to rely on one guy to make the plays, one guy to make the big shot. Um, and, you know, if he's playing with that level of confidence and playing at the level he's playing, that just makes us better and better. Well, over that stretch, you know, offensively, you talked about you're hitting your stride here. You've averaged 88 points a game. Defensively, held teams to 72, which, you know, isn't going to put you at the top of the conference, but in playing your style, um, you're going to give other teams a lot of possessions. And um, I think you've done a really nice job locking things down on both ends of the court. And that that's where I think think you guys maybe struggled a little bit early in the season. So do you feel like, you know, your your group's kind of hitting their stride in, in an all-around way at this point in the season? I think so. Um, I certainly hope so. And, you know, the, the thing we talk, we've talked about the last week or so with the guys now is, you know, you can't let your guard down. You know, we were we were in a tough spot about a month ago, and, and we've kind of righted the ship, so to speak. And 
I think the second you relax or, or think you've got it all figured out, that's when you're you're ready to get beat. And there's just too many good teams in this league, top to bottom, that can beat you on any given night. Um, that you can't let your guard down. You have to keep pressing forward. And whether you win or lose, you have to have a short memory and be ready to move on to the next one and, and be ready to give it everything you've got. And, you know, obviously going back on the road and, and playing a, a rivalry game this week with Morningside, a team that beat us the first time, um, you know, we have to better our best at this point. Yeah, so that's a good segue uh, speaking of this week. So Wednesday night, like you said, playing across town at Morningside, the women will play at six, the men will play at eight. I'm not real sure on what their spectator guidelines are at this point. No, no not visiting fans for, for the morning side game. So everyone's going to have to catch that online. But, you know, that's a gym that obviously um, you're very familiar with. Um, a lot of fun games over the history of, you know, I've been watching Bradcliffe basketball since I was a little kid, and that, but they used to play obviously in the auditorium. So last 20 years or so, a lot of, a lot of fun games in, in their gym and in ours, but a lot of good memories across town at Morningside. We brought some pretty big crowds. I remember a buddy of mine got a little too into it one time and actually stepped out on the court and grabbed the ref by the shoulder and tried to explain why the call wasn't uh, necessarily right in his eyes. Somehow we didn't get teed up for that. But uh, anyway, so game at Morningside, the ambiance, the environment's going to be a little different than usual, but you know, last time we played at our place, you know, they got a 76 to 58. What's it going to take to uh, turn the tables a little bit on them this time? Well, as I think back to that first game, it was a little over a month ago now, um, really competitive back and forth first half. And, and they kind of jumped on us in the second half and turned us over a few times. We went into a little bit of an offensive lull. Um, where our turnovers led to really easy points for them. And, you know, that four-point lead went to 14 real quick after halftime. We actually cut it back down to 6-7 a couple times and, and just couldn't make the big basket, couldn't make the big play offensively, or couldn't get the big stop defensively. So I think I think it's going to start. We, we've got to be crisper with our offense than the last time we played them. They're, they're a really physical, aggressive defense, um, trying to force some turnovers, trying to make things really difficult for you. And we have to, you know, counter that with our ball movement, with sharp cuts, um, extra passes, putting them in some scramble situations that we didn't do a great job of the first time we played. And then, you know, we gave up just too many easy baskets defensively. And, and part of that did come from our offense. Um, you know, when you turn the ball over, it usually leads to easy points. So we're really going to have to limit that and, you know, just do a better job guarding their penetration hurt us. Obviously, their big kid's really good and, and, and he's a – he's an issue for us because of his size and strength and ability to finish around the basket. But uh, you know, we just, we have to really limit the easy points and we have to put together a 40 minute game. And I, I don't think we did that last time. Um, I think we're a better team right now than we were a month ago. And now we have to go over there and, and show that for 40 minutes. Then you'll turn around and come right back home on Saturday, the 16th Midland comes up. Uh, we played them about a month ago down at their place, won that game 88 to 83, which um, was a, a good, you know, good, nice win, good all around win down there. Um, so, you know, back home in our gym, um, you know, it's I've been watching online. We've had some nice crowds. Whoever is in there have been really active and energetic. So uh, it's been nice to see that they're giving you some of that energy. But, you know, how in a, in a typical year, you know, the answer might be a little bit different, but in this year in particular, you know, how advantageous is it, if at all, to be in your home gym, especially when you do have some of that support in the building? Oh, it definitely helps. And, you know, maybe more than anything else, just you're not sitting on a bus for an hour or two or three and then getting out to play, you know, guys are a little more relaxed throughout the day and, um, and those things. But honestly, it's, it's been such a strange year. I think we've actually been really good in the games with limited atmospheres. You know, I think to we played at Midland, there was very, very few people there. Same at Doan, um, same at Dakota State, um, same at Bellevue early in the season. So we, we played in that environment with not much. So obviously when you're coming home and it's behind you, it's, it's a benefit for you. And that's something that I, I think our guys do thrive on a little bit. All right. So this week's games, Wednesday, the 13th at Morningside, the uh, Women will play at 6 o'clock. The men will play at 8. And then next Saturday, the 16th, Midland comes to town. 
women will play at two and the men will play at four. Uh, I know there's been some changes in uh, state guidance on spectators at this point. As uh, the Briarcliff Spectator policy the same as it's been the last few weeks? Yep, same as it's been. Tickets are go for sale online early in the week, every week, and uh, we're at 25% capacity. And, you know, I don't know if that'll change. I That's, you know, that's out of my control. But, you know, it's been running pretty smoothly, and we have sold out every game um, since we've been doing that. So hopefully we continue to do that. All right. Well, with that, you know, we, we figured since it's Morningside week, uh, Coach, you lined up a, a guest for us today who's very familiar with both Morningside and Briarcliff's programs. Uh, Tom Betts is the Vice President of Advancement at Bishop Heelan Catholic Schools, father of 2018 grad Jared Betts. Tom himself is a 1989 graduate of Morningside College basketball player, also a member of the Morningside Hall of Fame. Tom, the resume goes on and on. I, you can stop me at any time, but uh, if you're ego, will just let me keep going if you'll indulge me for a minute. <laughs> As Homer Simpson would say, my resume seems to be in order. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, you know, you were the head coach at uh, Helan for the boys basketball program from 2000 to 2014. Uh, had a lot of success there. So uh, it's great to have you here. How you been? Oh, been very good. Uh, like everyone else, navigating uh, – the world today, but uh, thankful to be watching basketball and and uh, having some normalcy this winter, at least. Two of the two of the best bullet points to a resume here. Number one is that you're the second in the Betts family to be a guest on this podcast, um, playing second <laughs> fiddle to your son. Um, and maybe most importantly, number two is you are part of an exclusive club in Sioux City, Iowa, um, called the Wise Men. Absolutely. I, I think that I think that needs to be added into the resume there. You know, we don't let anybody into that club. Well, the Wise Men Club is something that was established under very secretive protocol that meets <laughs> on a very semi-regularly unscheduled basis uh, that discusses and solves a lot of Sioux City's most critical problems, uh, not just in the athletic arena, but uh, across many, many different topics. Is that a fair, fair to say, Coach Figueroa? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you hit it spot on, actually. And you're you're actually the second uh, second Wiseman member to be a, a a guest on the podcast too. So you're you're just kind of playing second fiddle. But well, you a wise man once said, if, "If you're not first, you're last." And so second place, I, I guess I'm just last then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, you know you've been on both sides of this rivalry that we have coming up. We mentioned earlier that there aren't going to be fans allowed in the game, but I have to imagine there's some strings somewhere you can pull where you're going to be in that building, right? I definitely am. Uh, I've been working on it already today to get back into Alley. I, you know, the, uh, I used to know all the secret passages and doorways and things like that, but they made so many darn improvements out there in the last 30 years that, uh, yeah, I can't get in as easily as I used to. Um, I used to be able to scale the building, climb through the uh, M club door. Cause that's where our weight room was. And that was the only way that was really the only way you could get in the weight room in the summer was to scale the building, jump the window and lift weights unsupervised. Seems legit. Hey, the great ones adjust is what Andy Foster told me. That's right. I'm definitely looking forward to Wednesday night's game. Uh, you know, I, I love both schools. I, you know, Briar Cook, you know, it's funny. Briar Cook meant everything to me growing up until I went to college. And then I went to end up going to Morningside instead of Briarcliff and had a great experience there. And uh, lifelong friends have been very involved with Morningside uh, since I walked in the doors back in 1985. But then to have two children that have had such great experiences uh, back up on the cliff, it's uh, uh, both schools mean a lot in the, in the Bennett's household, that's for sure. Yep. So let's 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 kick it back to the to the late 80s, Coach Betts, you know, talk about that rivalry when you were a player what was that like and I know both teams at the time were, were pretty dang good well I came in uh, I would say kind of towards the end of the what Barrett Clifford called the Panama Pipeline something that I grew up watching uh, as a child I mean I didn't miss a, many games at the Sioux City Auditorium back in the Rolando Frazier Eddie Warren Tito Malcolm days Mario Butler uh, you know I watched all those guys they were you know my my wall was was filled with programs that of Briarcliff's uh, wallpaper, basically. Uh, and then I went over to, to Morningside, and my, my four years there, we had some 
if I had to go back and look, it was probably a 50-50 split on who won what. Uh, there was We played twice a year back then, and, and I remember there. I think there was two years we even played three times. Uh, Briar Cliff had some guys that uh, most people are familiar with, Jeff Donaldson, who I consider maybe the, the most intelligent player I think I maybe ever saw. Jeff was just a, a – you know, he was not only physically talented, but just a, such a smart player. Uh, I think also they, we, we had uh, played against Mario Galvez my freshman year. And, you know, that he goes without saying, you know, one of the two best chargers of all time, him and Rolando Frazier. But uh, I always say the most underrated charger of all time was, was my freshman and sophomore year was Fernando Peniel. Now, it wasn't really fair. Fernando was 36 years old when he played against me. So, um, you know, that, that wasn't really fair, but Fernando was a, was a great player. Uh, and uh, we, we had some really heated rivalries, heated games, uh, you know, whether it was Alley or the Flanagan Center. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was, it was crazy. And, and of course, a lot of Briarcliff fans back then took special interest in me because they thought maybe I should be playing at Briarcliff. And so I used to get a lot of extra love when I played Briarcliff. <laughs> I got to tell you, as somebody who's 35, I can't imagine that it's much of an advantage to be a 36-year-old trying to play a college game. My knees can barely get me down the stairs, but yeah. maybe I shouldn't compare myself to, uh, to I, I, I might have been stretching that age, but but Fernando and a few of those guys were uh, a little more mature than the rest of us. Let's just put it that way. It was, it, um, but, uh, no, it was uh, – uh, man, we had some great, great games, great rivalries. Uh uh, you know, one thing I also remember about that time, too, is, you know, you play the game and it'd be heated. But then that night you'd be down at Buffalo Alice. Everybody would be in there together. We had I mean, we just uh, it was a really fun time to play basketball in Sioux City. And you're I, talking always, Buffalo Alice back in the back in the uh, Pearl Street days, right? The Pearl, Pearl Street days. You betcha. I grew up in that place. Yeah, that, that's back when uh, Galvez and Frazier had their shoes that were strung across the top of the place. Wow. But uh yeah, so no, it's uh, I'm looking forward to Wednesday night, and uh, I've seen the first. I watched the first game on on live screen stream, and uh, yeah, Market, you know that second half, uh, Morningside, uh, they they just kind of I think beat the cliff down the court. They got a lot of easy transition buckets. Uh, Trey Brown is a beast. He's you know he's a load, so you got to make sure you can somehow to you you know he's gonna he's gonna have his his portion of the game. So how do he take the other guys away? Um, all right, so let's fast forward. You were uh, a parent in our program for four years. You know, talk about that. And, I, you know, Jared was a part of some big-time teams in his four years here. Yeah, you know, Jared and I have had these discussions many times. And uh, when he, I'll never forget when he, he made some visits and, and he wasn't heavily recruited, but I knew that Jared could be part of a, of a small college basketball team and, and could bring something to that team. And when, uh, when you and Nick recruited him, he came home from that visit and he was sold. And, uh, you know, as a, as a dad, I was kind of saying, well, what about Morningside? What about Morningside? Uh, you know what? He, he, he definitely wanted to make his own path, which I couldn't have been happier for. And he had a great four year at Burnercliff. I couldn't ask for as a parent. And I know Julie feels the same way, a better experience. Um, and when you think about it, he was kind of part of the, I always, I always jokingly say part of the 2020 club. You know, the guys that get in when you're up 20 or down 20. Um, he had a little bit more significant role his senior year. But, you know, he said, you know, a guy that was able to go to four national tournaments and uh, just the relationships, the lifelong relationships is still to this day. He has through his experience as a member of the Barclay basketball team um, are ridiculous. Uh, I, I had the good fortune of running into Eric Erdman two days ago at uh, his other office, Stonebrew Coffee Shop. Eric and I, Eric and I apparently have a lot of coffee during the week. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I introduced Eric to a couple of friends of mine and, you know, the first word out of his mind was Jared Betts, the greatest teammate I ever had. And nothing warms my heart more than when I hear, I hear that, that uh, I, I've told Jared a hundred times that, you know, I played at Morningside, I had great teammates, obviously great friendships, not, but I never played in any national tournaments, never got to experience any of those kind of things. And I said, I'd, I'd trade any, you know, any statistic that I, or any, anything personal out accolade for what he got to experience with Briarcliff. There's no comparison um, in the two experiences. 
uh, not that mine wasn't good. Mine was great, but his, uh, I think his was better. And uh, so I owed a lot to Barcliffe for, for what uh, they provided Jared. Brings up, you know, kind of an interesting thought. You know, you had talked to your son about, you know, what he wanted to do, but during your time coaching at Healand, you had a lot of studs come through your program and you probably had a lot of conversations with college coaches, a lot of conversations with your players, with their parents about deciding where they want to go, what program's a good fit, what level's a good fit, or what type of advice would you usually give to guys in terms of deciding what's the right level for me, what's the right program, where is it going to be a good fit? Well, I think that the advice I always gave was to start off was on your visit. How was that relationship? How did you feel about that basketball coach? How did you feel about, I mean, are they going to hold you accountable? Not to, not that you feel warm and fuzzy because you know what the co college coaches might be warm and fuzzy on the, on that day, but uh, what kind of expectations are they going to host have for you? Uh, I go back to a little bit of personal experiences. Uh, I, I played high school ball for Doug Moody. Uh, Doug was a, I mean, he's kind of a drill sergeant, you know, Doug was tough. And uh, when I got recruited, I, I thought that uh, uh, Dan Callahan recruited me to Morningside. Dan is a great coach, but Dan coached differently than Doug Moody. I found what I, after one year, I needed a different kind of coach. Uh, Dan, Coach Callahan had moved on, and Tom McCracken had come in and finished my three years at Morningside. He was much more like Doug Moody. You know, he was, I needed somebody to uh, light a fire under me once in a while and, and not be, you know, and just kind of bark on me because I responded good to that kind of stuff. And so when I talked to kids that, you know, uh, we're getting recruited. I always made sure, listen, you, you need to, to talk to the players on the team, see what kind of coach he is. Is this somebody you're going to respond to? Not everybody responds to the same kind of coach. And uh, you got to make sure that you're, that it's going to be a good situation there. And then make sure that the, the players on the team are guys that you feel like, yeah, these are guys that, that in 20 years, I can see going to their weddings or 10 years or 15 years, because that's your family. That not that you're not going to expand that on campus, but you're going to spend so much time with those guys. Uh, and then, you know, thirdly, you know, maybe firstly, you know, can you play there? Is that the most important thing? Why are you going there? Uh, I've had these conversations. You know, it's, it's easy if you've got a, a Nate Funk or a Zach McCabe or Clint Sargent. You know, I've, I was blessed with a lot of really good players that were going to be able to go and play at a high-level basketball, and they knew they were going to eventually make – court or contributions on, on the court but uh you know the value of playing at a briar cliff and uh or morningside college or small school buena vista you know for a matt cleveland to ben sitzman jared betts is of the world those guys you know after four years you're not going to the nba you're not probably going to go play overseas so make sure that you're going to go uh take in the whole experience see the real value of being part of a team in a situation like that and and it's fortunate the guys uh uh, that I coached were able to have success at every one of those different levels of basketball. Yeah, that's the truth. You guys had a lot of success at Healing too. Three state titles. Is that right, coach? Yep. Yep. We were, we were able to, to we were able to uh, win three. We, we lost three. So we, we were, we were on both ends of that spectrum, but uh, uh, all credit to, man, we were, we were loaded. We had a lot of good players come through for 15 years and, and uh, I was the beneficiary. So, the, uh, and I had a great staff, you know, I, I had the same staff pretty much for about 10 to 12 years of that. And as you know, consistency on the coaching staff is, uh, lends to a really successful program, especially when you have really good players. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. So I got a question. I think I probably know the answer to this. You say you, you won three, you lost three state championship games. Do you remember the wins or the losses more? Well, <laughs> The losses came first. Okay. So, you know, we had lost three. Um, one of them, I was an assistant. My, my second year as an assistant was one of those losses, but we played, and then two as a head coach, we lost. And those, you know, one was a last second shot, you know, that we lost. We, one was a, a tight game with Pella that, uh, you know, that game you go back and you say, man, if we would have done this, this, and this, and this different, gosh, we should, we could have won that game. Uh, third one, we just got, blitzed you know that was Waverly that was uh, Clayton Vetti 
who ended up going to be a really good player. We had just the, the semifinal before we had snapped Harlan's 58 game winning streak that I think we kind of felt like that was the championship game, but uh, uh, the, I'll never forget the, you know, the, I remember the finals too, because that first one was just like a big relief off our shoulders. Uh, we were able to go out, go to the state tournament and uh, first round uh, uh, beat up on a, uh, um, uh, oh God, I can't remember who we played first round. We won by 50. It'll come to me. Um, they, their, their postman actually in that game had a uh, bracelet on his ankle because he was on jail release. Six, eight kid. That's maybe the best story. We won that game by about 50 points. Then we beat Carroll in the semifinals by 30 and ended up beating uh, uh, Norwalk in the finals by 37. So, I mean, you want to talk about, uh, you know, that was a that was a great team. Brennan Kugel, Zach McCabe, Alex Malloy, Tanner Ferguson, Ben Rickard. And then our starting – our second five in that season, I'm convinced could have, would have been a state tournament team. I mean, we were just so deep and, and I, and that team, especially give credit to a lot of parents that built those kids up from third grade on Bob Geary's of the world, Steve Ferguson, um, you know, the, the Rick Wagers, uh, the Joe McCabe's, the parents did so much when those kids were young that when we got to, when we got them at Helan, they were extremely talented and knew how to play the game. And then, uh, you know, I'll never forget the next two years sitting there and I look at Foster at the, on the bench it, with five seconds left on the game in the year two uh, against Pella. And I look at him, I said, holy smokes, we just won again. And then, <laughs> and then a year later, I, we're playing uh, um, Waverly. And I look at him and I said, hey, Foster, we just won a third. You know, it, just, it, was, it was like we were in a, in a daydream. But uh, it was certainly stuff I'll never forget. Were there any of those guys over the course of that entire time, but any of those guys who went on to play college ball, who was a late bloomer or somebody who really broke out maybe in their junior or senior year that surprised you a little bit? Well, Nate Funk was probably the premier guy like that, that, that really went on and became, you know, uh, kind of a national type player. I mean, Nate, uh, when Nate came into Healing, he was a five, two freshman. His sophomore year was the first year that I was helping Doug Moody. We came back and joined staff. Nate was five foot seven, skinny little kid. And through seven games his sophomore year, he was leading us in scoring. We, we, we could just see, man, this kid is just so skilled. Uh, his, senior, his junior year, we made the state finals. He had grown to be about six one. Uh, hit. I, st I still say one of the greatest state championship shots at, uh, against uh, Western Dubuque to put it into overtime, a fadeaway from about 18 with two seconds on the clock. Uh, we, we lost in the last second shot in the finals that year. But then after that uh, game, some AAU coaches are seeing him play, and Creighton calls me. Dana Altman calls me and says, I'm offering this kid, you know. And you think about it, two years ago, this kid – and he still, he, you know, he didn't hit his prime for another two years, but Creighton was the one school that saw real huge potential in funk. And uh, so he would probably be that one guy. You know, I think another guy that uh, had a definitely had his best ball in college. And, and that wasn't because of, uh, I think most of it was because in high school, he, he, he wasn't the main guy because of guys like Brendan Kugel and Zach McCabe and some John Daniels, some guys was Ben Sitzman up at Briar Cliff. You know, Ben had a great career up there. We knew he would, we knew he could. And we knew that if, you know, when he's at Healing, he could do more than play defense. We just didn't, didn't need him to. Uh, uh -huh. But he had a great career up at Briar Cliff and maybe kind of a late bloomer himself. Yeah, that's a, that's the first one that came to mind when Matt asked that question. You know, I, I coached Ben his senior year here, my first year as an assistant. And you want to talk about a tough dude. Well, I got a, I got a, one of my favorite Ben Sitzman stories, if I can share it. Yeah. So Ben hangs out in my neighborhood all through high school and grade school. Uh, obviously, you know, the McDevitts. Yeah. Dave and Michelle. So Marty lived, they live two doors down and, and, and these kids are old school. They're, they're in the driveway. They play pickup ball two on two all the time. It's Ben Sitzman and Marty McDevitt, uh, Christopher Rickert, uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Rickert. They're always playing two on two basketball. I wake up on Saturday morning and I'm out washing my car, as you know, I like to do. And Ben Sitzman continually is running around my neighborhood. 
And I said, Ben, what are you doing? He says, I'm running a marathon, coach. These guys didn't think I could do it. I'm going to prove them wrong. They had measured up a, a you know, a marathon in the hood. And, <laughs> and the guys are on the bicycle following him as he runs the marathon all day on a Saturday. <laughs> you know, wow. But the, the, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, great group of kids. And those, are, you know, those are the kids, as you know, coach in the G pack, uh, that's what you get a coach. You get a coach for the most part, really, really solid kids. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and that's, you know, it's something we look for in recruiting, obviously, you know, it's, it's more than about being a good basketball player. We want to have good people in our program. And I mean, that's part of what, you know, makes it special. And you talked about Jared's experience here. He was surrounded and him being one of them, he's surrounded by, by great dudes. And that's, it just makes it so much more fun. I mean, at least for me as a coach, it makes it so much more fun to be around good kids that'll, that'll buy into what you want to do and, and look out for each other and, and work for each other and sacrifice for each other. And, and I think you definitely get that in our league. Yeah. Sure. You know it, I enjoy it. I, uh, uh, even running into Hy-Vee two days ago, I ran into Hy-Vee and Ethan Friedel and Will Johnson are coming out and they stop and talk to me because, you know, they, they still remember me as Jared's dad from the day. And so I still, even to this day, I have a little bit of involvement and a passion for what's going on up there and the kids that are playing. So, uh, and again, great basketball every night. You know, I, I've told many kids, whether they're healing kids, these kids, doesn't matter. I, I, I say, if you haven't been to a GPAC, they, you know, so many kids think that they're this level, that level. You need to look at a local level and see the type of basketball that's being played. Uh, if you don't, um, number one, you, 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 you're not going to appreciate how good a basketball player you have to be. But again, if you're a basketball fan, you don't have to turn on the Big Ten Network. You don't have to go to FS1. You know what? Go out to Briarcliff, go out to Morningside, and, and follow that GPAC schedule. You can see some dang good basketball games. Amen yep. to that. Yeah. I was born in Sioux City. So I went to like second or kindergarten through like fourth grade with Dylan Grimsley and you some bet. of those that class and I just remember must have been oh two oh three oh four somewhere in there it was the east jamboree at the beginning of the year and you guys were playing like Marcus Meredith and Cleghorn or something and I went to Spalding up in Granville and we were waiting for our game I think we played north right afterwards who was uh, your who was the coach up there uh Scott Willman at the time okay, okay. because did uh, Galen Van Essen replace him at I think okay. so he was after I graduated yeah but I just remember Dylan I caught the ball in the short corner somewhere and just effortlessly threw it up with two hands. I think one dribble threw it up with two hands. And I looked at my teammates like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> We're going to get slaughtered. <laughs> but I think we played, I think we lost the North like 30 to 25. It was, they were a little more uh, manageable, I think, than you guys would have been. But yeah. yeah, there were just some insanely good players in that era. Oh, yeah. Well, and you th I think back too, because we, we had, we had a handful of teams that, didn't make the state tournament. And I look back and, and I think, man, how do we not make the state tournament with this crew? And I'll take full responsibility for them. You know, I got a team of Matt Cleveland, Pat Grace, uh, you know, Danny Musel, those kids. But then I look and we, I'm like, well, we lost to MOC Floyd Valley. MOC won it that year. You know, so we, we had some, our district, uh, we were good, but MOC was always right there. Uh, Spencer was, was solid for, I mean, really good for three to four years. And so it's, uh, you know, time, sometimes we went down towards Harlan and we know, we know what they, they do. And uh, so Northwest Iowa high school basketball for 15 years is, I mean, it's just like, like I said, it's just like the G pack. It's every night is a, is a battle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. funny. Cause I, you know, I grew up in Omaha and you know, when I played at Dana, I played with a handful of Northwest Iowa guys and they would always talk about it and, you know, I just kind of brush it off, you know, big city arrogance I had um, and never really knew much about it outside of what they said. And then when I got to Briarcliff, um, I remember the I think it was the first two high school games I went to when I coached here was was uh, Western Christian at Lamar's in the old gym at Lamar's. Yeah, when we were recruiting Austin Holman. And then I, I was at a East Healing game at the pit. And I mean that you want to talk about an indoctrination into Northwest Iowa basketball. That that's it right there. And it's you know, yeah. That, I never actually apologized to those guys for doubting them, but they definitely were right about Northwest Iowa basketball. Yeah, it's uh, 
uh, you know, and right now I think we're in, inside Sioux City. You know, I just talked to Andy Foster. You know, we're, we're healing. We're, we're down a little bit. Uh, we don't have a lot of upperclassmen. We're really excited about our younger kids. And, and I think some of the other schools kind of feel the same way that uh, uh, maybe we, we're not where we've been. But uh, it's also changed around here. You know, the, you know, Dakota Valley, they're great. I mean, that's, that area is blown up out there. Uh, so many uh, families that were Sioux City families now live across the river in South Dakota. And, and so that's something that Sioux City high schools compete with. Uh, same thing with Sergeant Bluff. Sergeant Bluff's having a great run there. Uh, there's just a lot, a lot of dynamics have changed uh, uh, around Sioux City in the last uh, 10 years. Well, Tom, before we move on, I have to ask, is there any a game in particular playing against Briarcliff or any, any memory that stands out of Coach Naki when you'd play against those guys? Uh, were you aware of his his antics on his side of the bench, or oh, I mean, what was his reputation in the league when you were playing? It, you know, Coach Naki was well, he was a legend, and you know, I went to every one of his basketball camps. I was in the first camp ever in the Newman Flanagan Center. It was right before my junior year of high school, and uh, so Coach Naki was—I uh, mean, he was intense. He was intense uh, as a player, probably. Uh, well, as a kid growing up, some of my biggest memories were at the auditorium of the Morningside Briar Cliff game. And there would be, uh, I mean, as bad as this was, but I'm, you know, it happened. It was American flags being waved, uh, you know, fish and bananas being thrown on the court. It was a terrible, terrible things that would happen back then. Um, you know, which, you know, you think about it, here we are 30 years later, 40 years later, still in America dealing with this, some of these things. But, uh, you know, those, you know, those memories were, were, uh, uh, you knew there was a rivalry there. And then as a player, uh, I, this is probably the worst memory that I have. And it was in a, to a guy that, that, I, you know, I'm still ashamed I did this, but playing against Amado Martinez, my senior year, and we would run a, a Morningside, we always ran a back pick play to me to start the game. And for some reason, it always seemed to work for a dunk. And uh, I remember Amado, he was pissed off and that it happened and somebody didn't call the back screen. And then the next time down, I got it and I happened to dunk on him again. And Tim Seaman was doing sports then. He gets this on the, he gets it on TV. As I, as I dunk on a motto, I turned to him and I put my hand in my face, like take that. And I said, Oh my, I mean, it's boy, as a 20 year old man, how immature was I? <laughs> <laughs> and, but my, you know, and I've got the, you know, the old video when my Jared was younger, uh, he's seen it before and Amato and I have joked about it because uh, of that. But uh, I have to say one of my greatest memories though, uh, and it's not a Briarcliff Morningside memory, but it was a few years back when Briarcliff hosted the uh, 50th reunion of uh, the basketball program. And that weekend was, you know, something I'll never forget. And I was able, Jared was uh, on the team and I was able to, host uh Rolando Frazier Mario Galvez Mario Butler Amado Martinez uh I was able to host them drive them around for the weekend uh I still have a uh bottle of uh, Puerto Rican rum that Mario gave me as a as a gift I still waiting to crack that bad boy open (laughs) (laughs) but that was a that was just a great weekend because um as strange as it was that was my childhood growing up was those guys and uh I mean, I still can recite, you know, statistics, you know, uh, you know, what Frazier was 36.4 a game as a junior shot 67% from the field. I mean, who does that? Who's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's amazing. Greatest bank, great, greatest bank shooter in the history of basketball. 15 foot bank shot, man. It was, it was, uh, I'm still waiting on Ron Schultz though, to provide me some, uh, some really good video. He says it's out there somewhere. And I get because I do it. There's a morning set or a Briar Cliff alumni, excuse me, that want that video. Yeah, I tell you what, we you know we have a bunch of stuff downstairs in our storage room, um, but it like you're talking late '70s through the '80s. There's not much out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, I have a game from 1986 on my computer where Fr- uh, Galvez hits a about a 35 foot buzzer beater to beat Northwestern in the Flanagan Center. Is that the uh, one where he, where he l- releases the ball and starts sprinting to the locker room before it goes in? I yeah, have, it is. I it, is. That. it is, and it actually gets – the, the video kind of gets cut off. 
Um, it's not great quality, and the camera didn't actually follow it all that well. Um, but you see him shoot it, and about a second and a half later, the the whole place just goes nuts. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty awesome to watch. And then you know from there we've got some stuff from the '90s. But um, you know I've asked Coach Schultz a hundred times for for some of that older stuff. If he has it, if he finds it, let me have it so we can we can upgrade it to you know digital and, yeah. and use that kind of stuff. And it's you know unfortunately you know I, I'm afraid some of that stuff's lost to time. Yeah, you know, it, it we might. we do have we what we do have is a big box of old reel to reel films. And I, I don't even know what it would take to Kevin you know, Hurley. I, what's that? Kevin Kevin Hurley could go through that stuff for you. No, that's good to know. I think he could transfer that stuff. Let's get on that. Okay. I'll, I'll when we got a buy coming up in a couple of weeks, I'll go down there and, and start going through. And I I honestly think some of it goes back to like 66, 67, you know, when, when Coach Schultz was playing. D. Ron um, Schultz, yes. That's right, D. Ron Schultz. He doesn't like that uh, phrasing of it, but too bad. <laughs> this is our podcast, not his. Absolutely. All right. Well, we should uh, we should probably get into our starting five here. And I, I know that Mark said he uh, gave this information to you a little late. So hopefully you've had some time. I, I, I didn't give it to him at all, Matt. You gave it to 35, him 35 minutes ago, Matt. 35 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I'm trying I, to I, be diplomatic. I think I've got a good starting five. Okay. Oh, good. I like it. Just, and you, just a, you know, you, you've got a little more common name than I do. Not that Mark's uncommon, but I think, right. I think Tom's a little more common. So you're going to have some better options, but I like where I'm at. And I, you know, Matt kind of already pre-called me out. I don't know if he knew I was going to do this. I had myself and my starting five, so I had to go with a late sub. Well, uh, I haven't even mentioned what the category is yet to our listeners. So maybe by now they've figured it out, but what we're doing for our starting five is uh, the starting five for people who share your first name. And I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It can be a product, I guess, or whatever. You can leave that open-ended and interpret it however you want to, but we're doing the starting five of people, places, or things that share your first name. Um, so of course we always have uh, coach Figuera and our guests participate in this. So I'll let you guys fight it out on who wants to go first. Yeah, you go first coach. All right. My point guard uh, in honor of his passing this week is a true leader and director of teams, Tommy Lasorda. It's a great one. Yeah. How many world How many World Series did he win as a manager? Uh, he won us about four series. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what you just said, but I know it was multiple. So it's multiple. He was good. Uh, he was good. Yeah. I'll call well, Colstra. He'll know. Yeah. <laughs> at, at my point guard spot, I'm going with one of the great American writers of all time, Mark Twain. All right. I like if you've it. Never read any. You probably should. Yeah, definitely. Uh, two spot, you got to have somebody that can go athletic, lean. Uh, Tom Cruise. Oof, there you go. Tell you what, Tom Cruise went on a run there of movies in the late '80s, early '90s. That's unprecedented, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to go along the same lines as you in a, in a way with my two guard. I'm going with Marky Mark himself, Mark Wahlberg. I mean, you know, I, I was saying before we started this, Good Vibrations was a skating rink staple in my youth, you know, school skating parties, all that stuff. Well, how about the movie where he uh, he's dating the girl and and uh, he ends up wanting to like break in the house at the end? He's like up on the screen like this. <laughs> Get the hell out of me. <laughs> all right. Uh, three man. Um, I'm, I'm about winning. And so is this guy. Tom Brady. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's no debate there. Um, at, at my three spot, you know, I'll be honest, there, there's a limited amount of, of, of really good marks out there. Yeah. Unfortunately. And like I said, Matt, Matt kind of called me out that I probably shouldn't use myself. So otherwise I was in here. <laughs> um, but I, I've got Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, you know, I like it. Run a, run a great franchise for a long time now. They were, they were, trash before he got there and since he's been there they've been a you know really good competitive program won a championship in 11 obviously so he's running at the three for me okay well my four man and i'm taking your lead going back if dylan janicek is leading if he's listening if janicek's listening every team's got to have that guy that brings a lot of everything else but maybe can't score okay and janicek knows this he knows this. So I'm, I'm bringing this guy, 
Tommy Boy. Oh, I, I love it. Oh, yeah. Isn't that good? I love it. Yeah, Tommy Boy is a poor man. He, I think he can, I think he can handle things down low. He's going to rebound well, and he's going to, he's going to be a glue guy. Keep, keep that team together. Yeah, I Unse- like it. Unselfish, and you know what? Most importantly, he knows where the weight room is. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> that is right. And sneaky uh, athletic, super athletic, actually. Absolutely sneaky athletic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got a, uh, I've got maybe an out there one playing the four for me. Um, this goes back to my younger days, love of the WWF. Mark Henry, who was also an Olympic weightlifter, but a WWF wrestler. I mean, okay. he's get he's getting rebounds for you at the four spot. There's no doubt about it. He's going to be an intimidator out there for you. Well, um, my five man is in honor of my college basketball coach Tom McCracken, but that's not who I'm putting there. Okay, Tom McCracken uh, coached in high school. He says the second best Tom Dunker he knew. I was his first. Tom Chambers. <laughs> So Tom Chambers, the old Supersonics guy, Phoenix Suns. Tom mm-hmm. Chambers is playing the five for me. Well, I like that. Um, yeah. We may need to fact check that claim, but that's okay. Um, so my, he played, my uh, played for my coach. Uh, he played for Tom McCracken out in uh, uh, Centennial, Colorado. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so my five man goes back to my childhood. Mark McGuire. Oh. I mean, who, who doesn't remember the summer of 98 home run chase? Well, everybody needs somebody with Roy's on the team, too. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's um, what I'm saying. Uh, my coach, just so you know, I'm, I'm adding a six. I, I have a coach that I want to bring on board. His name's Tom Brokaw. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. I like, I like where your head's at with the coach. We've never actually done that on the starting five. Mark, do you have one that comes immediately to mind? Yeah, he's on the screen right now. Mark West. Mark West is not on the screen. Mark West. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, good. That was that was awesome. That was a good category. I thought those were both uh, good competitive teams. I don't know, McGuire. You know that that might be a polarizing pick for some people. The purest. That's fine. It's your list. That's why it's your list. So, yeah, the Bass Brothers. Come on. Well, if anyone has any recommendations on starting five categories, any questions, comments, et cetera, make sure you get those into us. A couple ways you can do that on Twitter at BC Buckets Cast or shoot us an email at bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Tom, you may be familiar with this, but one of the things we do every week on the podcast is Coach Figueres shares one of his life rules, and then we'll give you an opportunity to weigh in if, if you want to. But uh, with that, I'll turn things over to Mark, see what he has this week. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks, Matt, and and we went through the holidays. I think the life rule is just that we are right now kind of in the sweet spot where it's probably time to take down your Christmas decorations. Um, in fact, when we're done recording this, I think mine are coming down. So, you know, don't, don't be the ones that leave them up all the way till Valentine's day or something like that. It's time. It's over. Let's, let's bring them down. I like it. I like that. That's a, you're right. Take the, take the Christmas decorations down. Are yours still up, Coach? Or are they? Or are they oh now? no! First of all, Julie is she is the uh, Christmas decoration queen of Queens Court. Uh, we got okay. 30, 40 uh, containers filled with this stuff, and but she takes them down two days later. Oh wow! Yeah. And then she's on the way to church today. She said, "Hey, did you notice I took down the outside decorations?" I said, "I didn't know we had outside decorations up." <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great yeah yeah i think my folks had their tree down christmas night they're usually oh, pretty wow. quick to get that stuff turned around all right well last thing we got to do here is throw out some shout outs so i'm going to start us out uh, here and i'm going to give a shout out to the nfl uh i was skeptical when they first announced you know the idea of bringing in a seventh playoff team and taking the buy away from the two seed uh, but I'm, I'm not too proud to admit I was 100% wrong on that. Having six games on wildcard weekend is incredible. Um, and I think you could argue that after, you know, I think the three weeks of March Madness, each of those weekends are the one, two, three best weekends in sport. I would put wildcard weekend as number four right before the Masters weekend. And I'm, Super Bowl is not a weekend. Super Bowl is a game or a day. So that doesn't count. But uh, 
I think it's incredible having three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. It's phenomenal. So shout out to the NFL. You did the right thing. Yeah, I've got, uh, you know, per usual, I don't limit myself to one shot. So I've got two here quick. First one is actually to a, uh, a future player in our program, Connor Libis, who's going to come play for us next year, became the all-time leading scorer at his high school on Friday night, Del Rapids, St. Mary's. I think he's pushing 2,300 points in his high school career. Um, so shout out to Connor. And then uh, I got to give a shout out to our guys. We had a, uh, our varsity team had a 3.64 GPA first semester. Um, so it pretty much means every player on our team right now is smarter than the head coach. So great job, guys. Well done. I'm going to give a shout out to the athletic directors at the high schools in the state of Iowa. Uh, they're going this week. They're going to go from limited uh, attendance to the governor opened up uh, statewide attendance, or I mean, I'm sorry, system-wide attendance, unlimited attendance. Um, and their jobs just went from big to bigger. I know there's a lot of pressure on them, but they've been doing a great job. Uh, and they, I know they continue uh, continually will do a great job. So the ADs that have got to navigate all these athletic uh, endeavors through COVID and have had to do this, uh, a shout out to them. 100% agree with that. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Just a quick reminder, uh, Wednesday night, Briarcliff will play at Morningside at their place. Uh, no fan attendance. You're going to have to watch that game online. Uh, women will play at six o'clock. The men will play at eight. And then next Saturday, the 16th, Briarcliff will be back at home against Midland. Women will play at two. The men will play at four. Uh, keep an eye online for opportunities to buy tickets to that game. Those will probably be released at some point here uh, this week. So uh, on behalf of Coach Figuera, uh, I want to thank uh, Tom Betts for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us every week, and we will see you next week.